Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. So we are starting a new series today. We finished uh, our, our series on the Ten Commandments. And today we are starting a new series on the DNA of our church, Kaleo DNA. And so before I explain a little bit more about that, uh, why don't you join me in prayer and asking God uh, to be the one speaking to us and teaching us today. God, thank you for bringing us uh, to your family, for making us a part of your people. Thank you for adopting us as your children. Thank you, God, for, for creating us for your glory. Lord, I pray that as we consider the topic of worship to you, I pray that you would make it very clear to us that we exist to glorify you. I pray that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would transform us as we see your glory through Jesus. I pray that uh, you give us, um, you give us understanding that you open our minds and our hearts to see your glory and to know what it means for us to worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so what do we mean by DNA? Well, let me begin by saying that uh, I'm really terrible at biology. Like, honestly, I have no idea how I passed biology in college. It was a Christian college, so I don't know, maybe the professor had grace on me. But I'm just, I'm just not uh, wired that way. Um, so, you know, when we talk about DNA, I'm not going to come and give you, you know, this fancy definition of DNA. Instead, I'm going to read it to you. And I'm not really reading any fancy definition. I'm just, I'm just thinking about DNA. What do we mean by DNA? Well, from a biological viewpoint, and again, this is not, you know, nothing fancy. It's just uh, DNA, it holds the code for every cell in the body. I trust that you already knew that or that that was a good reminder for you. Uh, DNA is a record of instructions encoded in each cell that tells it what it's supposed to be and do, right? So basically DNA, in, in Ben's terms, basically DNA uh, just really dictates what the body does, right? What the cells do. And so when we talk about the DNA of Kaleo, 
we are talking about the values that drive us, right? We are talking about the concepts and the, and the values that make Kaleo, Kaleo, right? The, the, the values that makes us who we are. We're not necessarily talking about our, our core doctrines or beliefs. We already talked about that a few months ago when we, when we went over a, a series on our theological convictions. Rather, we are talking more about the philosophy of our ministry, the philosophy of our church, why we do the things we do, why we operate in the way where we operate, why we, uh, uh, you know, engage in ministry the way that we do it. And this is because of our DNA. And of course, you know, just as our theological convictions are coming out of Scripture, we want to make sure that our DNA is also coming out of Scripture, right? It's not like one day we sat down and say, okay, hey, let's come up with some clever DNA thing that, that you know, will be the, the identity of our church. Rather, we thought about, okay, what are the values that from the Bible, from the Word of God, what are the values that dictate what we do? What are the values that drive us as a church? And so we can summarize the DNA of Kaleo in four words. And these four words are going to be the, the four messages on this series. So one of them is worship. The other one is gospel. The other one is community. And then mission, right? Go, uh, worship, gospel, community, and mission. So let me give you a, a really quick summary of these four. But today, we're going to focus on worship. So what do we mean by worship? By worship, we mean that we exist as a church to glorify God, right? To worship God. I'm going to be using these two words pretty much interchangeably. I'm going to be using worship and glorify interchangeably. But the point is that as a church, we exist to glorify God. And I would say not just as a church, but as humanity, as mankind, we were created to glorify God, right? So that's what we mean by worship. What we mean by gospel, we are talking about the good news of reconciliation with God, right? We're talking about the good news of what even makes us able to worship God. We are able to worship God because God in his mercy, in his grace, he took the initiative to save us, right? He sent his son Jesus and his son Jesus uh, lived a perfect life and died uh, a, a death on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to God and we could worship him. But one of the things we're gonna talk about uh, uh, when we talk about the gospel is that Christians never graduate from the gospel, right? So the gospel is not just this ticket entry into heaven and then you're done, but the gospel is actually the truth that we believe that sustain us, the truth on which we stand. And, and it's ultimately the truth that we believe as a church. And that's why we preach the gospel every single Week And we make sure that everything that we do is gospel saturated. Uh, then we're talking about community. And this refers to the fact that when we were saved, we were brought into something bigger than ourselves, right? Yes, we were saved as individuals, but we were not saved to remain in a individualistic lifestyle. We were saved and brought into a community. We were brought into a people. We were brought into a kingdom. Right? There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Right? Christian, if you are a Christian, if God has saved you, it means that he has brought you into a family, into a community. And then when we talk about mission, 
what we mean by this is that even though we are brought into this community, our purpose is not just to, you know, regroup and retreat and just kind of form our own little haven away from the world, but rather we are here on this earth as the instruments of God's mission. We, we are here as a church to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us, right? Our job, our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations, is to go outside of the four walls of this building and actually be the church out there and proclaim the good news of the gospel, right? Maybe something that ties these two together, at least mission and, and worship, uh, is something that John Piper said when he was talking about missions. And he says, missions exist because worship doesn't, doesn't exist, right? So the reason why missions are even necessary is because there are many people out there in the world that do not worship God. And so when we talk about mission, we are talking about going and preaching the gospel to other people so that they too, along with us, can be brought into this family and can worship God with us, right? So um, this all goes in line with the mission statement of Kaleo, which is we, uh, Kaleo exists to follow Jesus and promote his kingdom on the harbor as it is in heaven, right? So I would say that the first three are kind of uh, are, are kind of encapsulated in the follow Jesus, right? When we follow Jesus, it means that we are worshiping God. When we follow Jesus, it means that through Jesus, we have been saved, right? Through our faith in Jesus, we have been saved. So that's gospel. And then community, when we follow Jesus, we follow him into the community that he has formed. And then mission would be in the last part of that, of that mission statement, which is to promote his kingdom on the harbor as it is in heaven. And again, this idea of promoting the good news of the gospel, of promoting the kingdom of God everywhere we can. But for us at Kaleo, our, our, you know, our main goal is the harbor, right? Because that's, that's where we live. That's where most of us are. And so we want to make sure that we start there. Um, all right. So that's, that is just the introduction to the series. Now let's talk about worship. Today, we're going we're gonna to talk about the, the point, the, the first, uh, a word there, which is worship. Now, as soon as I started to look into this topic in more depth, all of the suspicions that I had were confirmed. And what I mean by that is that this is a massive topic. Okay, the, the other three, I mean, yes, they are also massive, but I feel like they're a little bit more, you know, you can wrap your mind around them a little bit more, but with worship, this topic is so infinite because we worship an infinite God, right? Because we worship an eternal God. We cannot understand God. And so it's difficult for us to understand the worship of God, right? In fact, when we think about God, we, we should join uh, uh, I, the prophet Isaiah and, and the apostle John uh, during the times that they encountered the glory of God, right? So for example, let me read from Isaiah chapter six. And this is the prophet Isaiah seeing the presence of the Lord and pay attention to his response to being in the presence of God. It says, Isaiah 6, one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, 
Who, uh, with two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. These are the seraphim. And one called one an- to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, and listen, this is the response that all of us should have to the glory of God. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Right? He was completely undone in the presence of God. And then we see the same thing with John, right? When John the Apostle is uh, in, in Patmos and he sees the resurrected Jesus, listen to this. He says, um, Revelation 1, 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven gold, golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And then listen to his response. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Right, this, this should be our, the right response to being faced with the glory of God, right? And so obviously when we think about the idea of worshiping God, I think it's right for us to ask the question like, how can we even worship such a huge, incredible, uh, 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 powerful God, right? We should be undone like like, uh, John and like Isaiah. But let me tell you, just because God is infinite and eternal and it's very difficult to wrap our minds around the idea of worship him. It doesn't mean that we have an excuse to neglect the study of how to worship God, right? What does it mean to worship God? And so right now, that's exactly what we're gonna do. We're going to spend some time looking at what it means for us to worship God. And this is, this is particularly important because as I said earlier, the ultimate purpose of mankind is to worship God, right? We're not talking about this secondary thing here. We're not talking about this optional thing here. We are talking about the reason why each one of us was created. We were created to glorify God, to worship God. We were created for his glory, right? Another way of putting this uh, would be in the words of uh, the writers of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the first question of this catechism, uh, uh, the question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that, to, to that question is, man's chief end is to glorify God uh, and to enjoy him forever, right? Our chief end, our goal, our purpose in life is to worship God, to glorify God. And so since this topic is so massive, Um, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to try to present it in a way that is easily understood, 
I'm going to try to present it in a way that is kind of synthesized and uh, so that we can be aware of God's glory, so that we can understand our duty to worship Him, and so that we can learn how we can glorify Him. So we are going to summarize or synthesize this topic with two words, okay? There's going to be three, but two are the main Two are the main, the main ones. And basically, this is the point. We worship God by being in a relationship with Him and by representing His image on earth. Okay, so the two words are relationship and representation. We worship God by being in a relationship with Him and by representing His image on earth. And... There's going to be a lot, a lot of overlap between these two words. But again, just to keep things simple for all of us to really understand, uh, we're going to talk about them separately. All right. So how are we doing so far? Good. All right. We worship God by being in a relationship with him and by representing his image on earth. To begin to think about this, let's go back to creation. Let's go back to the creation of, of man, right? Of creation of humanity. When God created Adam and Eve, we read that they were created in the image of God, right? And when we think of Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden, we know that they glorified God by living in an uninterrupted, loving relationship with him. We know that they glorified God by enjoying God we know that they worshiped him by enjoying his creation, by being, uh, by perfectly representing the image of God um, as they were fruitful, as they took dominion over the earth, as they obeyed him and lived in holiness, right? So if you think about it, like the, 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 the picture that we have of a human or humans glorifying God other than, than Jesus, right? But the picture that we have of humans glorifying God, we have it in Eden, and we see that Adam and Eve glorified God simply by living the way that they were meant to live, right? In the presence of God, enjoying God's presence, in relationship with God, representing the image of God in which they were created. Um, but unfortunately, we know the story, right? What happened in Eden? Did they remain like that? They didn't, right? They were deceived by the serpent the serpent told them to eat of the, of the fruit that, they, that God told them not to eat. And so sin entered into the world and their relationship with God was broken and the image of God in them was marred, right? Was distorted. Their relationship with God was broken and the image of God in them was distorted. And now to make things worse, this didn't, the, the consequence for their sin didn't just stay with them but the, con the consequence for their sin what was actually inherited to all of humanity, right? So from that moment on, every single human that is born is born not in a relationship with God and with God's image marred in them, right? And that is a big problem. That is a huge problem. It's such, it, th this problem is so big that because of sin, we are not able to worship God. The thing that we were created to do, right? Because of sin, because of our broken relationship with God, because of God's image in us being marred, we are not able to worship God. And so we need to introduce another word at, uh, besides, rep, uh, besides relationship and representation. 
And because I'm a good, because I'm a good boy, a good preacher, it's an R word. So that we have three words that start with the letter R. And the word is reconciliation, right? So before we can even worship God, the thing for which we were created uh, uh, to do, we need to be reconciled with God. In other words, God needs to take care of our biggest problem, which is the problem of sin. We need God to make it possible for us to even be in a relationship with him. We need for God to make it possible for us to even be able to represent his image. And God accomplished this by sending his son Jesus to this earth who perfectly represented his image, was the image of God and who had a perfectly perfect relationship with the father and who is God himself. And he lived a perfect life of obedience and he volunteered as the, the sacrifice upon which God would pour his whole wrath, the wrath that us, humanity, the wrath that we deserve, God poured his wrath on his son, Jesus, who went to the cross willingly so that anyone who trusts in Jesus' sacrificial death, anyone who says, I am not able to have a relationship with God, I am not able to represent God properly, I am not able to be in relationship with him, I need to be reconciled, and I recognize that the only person capable of doing this is Jesus Christ because he died on the cross in my place, right? That's, that's what we mean by being saved uh, uh, by faith. It means believing that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for us who reconciles us to God so that then we can do what we were created to do, which is to glorify God, to worship him, to be in relationship with him and to represent his image. So let's talk about relationship. And, and don't worry, we're going to talk about the gospel next week in, in a lot more detail. But right now, let's go to relationship, right? So let's talk about uh, worshiping God by being in relationship with Him. Uh, having a relationship with God means at least two things. Again, this is a massive topic, so um, I, I'm just trying to summarize things. But having a relationship with God means that we know Him and that we enjoy Him. This is what it means to have a relationship with God. It means that we know him and that we enjoy him. The first thing is knowledge, personal knowledge, right? We're not just talking about a knowledge uh, about God. We're not talking about a knowledge about the truths about God. That is nice. It's nice to know those things, but they don't serve you for anything if you do not know God personally, right? During our, our or at our gospel communities, we are currently studying Second uh, Peter. And by the way, before, we, before I even talk about Second Peter, let me, let me do a quick commercial here. If you are not a part of a gospel community, uh, I encourage you to join one. Uh, they are so encouraging. We, we practice all of these things. We, we you know, dwell in the gospel. We worship God. We uh, live in community. And also we seek to be missional to the world. So... That's the end of the commercial. We are studying 2 Peter right now in our gospel communities. And one of the things that caught my attention there is that uh, Peter uses two different words for knowledge. Uh, uh, if you've read through 2 Peter and paid attention, he uses the word knowledge multiple times. But it is interesting that sometimes he uses one word and sometimes he uses another word. And so, for example, 
when he is giving a list of virtues that Christians should add to their faith, he is using the word for knowledge that refers to, uh, to you know, in, intellectual knowledge, right? A, a, a logical knowledge of who God is. But pretty much any other time that he mentions the word knowledge, he uses the word for personal knowledge of God. And so, you know, one of the main things that, that, that Peter is doing in his letter is he is writing to warn the church about, about false teachers and false teaching. And one of the things, one of the points that Peter is making is that these false teachers have knowledge of God or knowledge about God, but they do not know God personally. And so one of the, one of the commentators that I was reading for, for second Peter, uh, said this, and I really appreciated this. And, and I think this is a good, uh, it, it's, it's something good for us to, to analyze if we have a true relationship of knowing God personally. He wrote, um, where did it go? It is dangerously easy to be a well-informed non-Christian. Now, let me say that again. It is dangerously easy to be a well-informed non-Christian who misses the key ingredient, which is Peter's other word for knowledge, personal knowledge, right? We want to make sure that we know God personally. In fact, we cannot worship what we do not know, right? We can know about God and that's, that's fine, but we need to know God personally so that we can worship him. In fact, we worship God by knowing him, by getting to know him, by being in a relationship with him. You can come to church all your life. You can, uh, you can know doctrine about God. You can sing uh, songs beautifully. But if you do not know God personally, you cannot worship him. You're not worshiping him. And that's, again, that's the part of reconciliation, right? Reconciliation is so important because we know God through the work of Jesus on the cross. We are even, we are even, I'm sorry, we are even able to have a relationship with God because of the work of Jesus on the cross. All right, so that's knowledge, right? Then the other one is enjoyment. We uh, we are in a relationship with God when we enjoy God. And this is worship to God, right? We, we worship God by enjoying him. Or again, to quote Piper, John Piper again, he actually kind of changes a little bit what, what the Westminster Catechism says. And instead of saying uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, he says, God, uh, sorry, he changes it to uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever, right? So the enjoyment of God becomes the means through which we Worship God. Another another quote that I have here that uh, he says, "God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him." Think about when God rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt, and uh, as they were getting ready to go into the Promised Land the second time, uh, listen to what God told them in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four and five. He says, "Hear, O Israel." The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then listen to this command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. When Jesus was asked what the greatest command 
is, he quoted this. He said, this is the greatest command to love God. Why? Because we worship God when we love him. We worship God when we enjoy him, when we are satisfied in him. And so, you know, we, of course, when we think of worship, we know that worshiping God is our duty. But as we were studying in the Ten Commandments, this is a delightful duty, right? It is something that produces uh, satisfaction. It is something that actually, that actually helps us, right? Because when we do the thing that we are created to do, that's when we are the most satisfied. That's when we are the happiest, the most content, the, the most joyful, because we are doing the thing that we were created to do. If you do not enjoy God, if you, if you do not delight in God, then you will never thrive. You will never be fully satisfied. You will continue to be de defeated by sin. You will continue to experience guilt, shame, hatred, fear, dissatisfaction until you are satisfied in God, until you enjoy him, until you love him with all of your being. And when we enjoy God, He is glorified. So that's, uh, that is the aspect of relationship. Now let's talk about the aspect of representation, right? And by this, we mean we were created in the image of God and therefore we worship God when we rightfully display or represent that image, right? So uh, basically two, two more things for representation. One of them is um, we... Uh, we represent the image of God when we live in holiness and we represent the image of God when we steward the resources that he has given us or the talents or the gifts that he has given us. So let's talk about holiness first. Um, by holiness, I think we can also put in the words obedience Christ-likeness, right? Being like God. And ultimately, what do we mean by holiness? Well, first of all, God is holy, right? God is set aside. God is, God is different. God is not like us. This is actually something that I tell my kids often because this usually happens when we are about to pray at mealtime and, and my kids are just, you know, kind of doing their own thing, being, being maybe, should I say, a little too casual. And so I tell them, hey guys, God is holy. This means that God is not like us. God is different from us, right? That's basically what it means for him to be holy, that he is set aside, he is different. And so, you know, I, I do this trying to help my kids and, and ultimately help us as well understand that we are not necessarily on the same, we are not, scratch the word necessarily, we are not on the same, uh, on the same uh, plane or level as God, right? He is holy. He is completely separate. He is on a league of its own. But here's the interesting thing. God commands his people to be holy like he is. God commands us to be holy, to be like him. Listen again to Exodus chapter 19. This is right after God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. And he tells them, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. This is Exodus 19 verses four through six. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. 
for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And then Peter, in 1 Peter, he is echoing these same words and he's also echoing the words of Leviticus 11, 44. And ultimately he is echoing the teaching of the whole Old Testament. He writes to us, to the church. He says, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then listen to this. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God is calling his people to be holy, right? One, basically part of the argument that Peter is making here is that since God adopted us as his children, now as God's beloved children, we should imitate our father, right? That's, that's what kids do, right? They imitate their, their parents. And so Peter is saying, as God's beloved children, imitate God and God is holy and therefore you be holy. Now, how can we be holy? Two more things. I, I, I actually thought about, I think, I think I just need to share my, my outline with you because I know that I keep like adding sub points and sub points, sub points. I think if you were to see the whole manuscript, it would make a little bit more sense. But how can we be holy, right? We, uh, we represent the image of God in us when we are holy. How can we be holy? Well, two things. Number one, by beholding the glory of God and number two, by obeying his commands. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4, basically the argument that he is making is that if we want to be transformed into the image of God, we need to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, right? When we behold the glory of God through Jesus, then we are transformed he says, from one degree of glory into another, we are transformed into the image of God. Let me read you two verses from 2 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And then a few verses before that in chapter 3, verse 18, he says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So if you want to grow in holiness, if you want to glorify God, if you want to grow in Christ-likeness, the first thing that we need to do is to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus, is to look at Jesus, is to make sure that Jesus is our only hope that he is, because he is the one who displays the image of God perfectly. If we want to, if we want to grow in Christ-likeness or if we want to grow in holiness, we have to look at Jesus. We have to hear the words of Jesus. We have to obey the commands of Jesus. We have to uh, rest in him. We have to rest in his grace, be strengthened in his grace. Again, it all goes back to this reconciliation, right? Without Jesus, it is impossible for us to worship God. But the good news is that Jesus displays God 
perfectly because he is God himself. And when we look at Jesus, when we trust in him, we are actually being transformed into the image of God from one degree, from one degree of glory into another. So Kaleo Church, we exist to glorify God and we are only going to be able to do this as we behold Jesus. And then the, 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 last, uh, the, the last part in, in this entire puzzle, and again, I think I'm just going to share my notes with you, but we represent the glory of God when we steward the resources, when we steward the resources and the gifts that God has given us. And for this, really, I'm just going to read some passages. So number one, uh, we enjoy, we are good stewards of God's gifts when we enjoy them. Okay, so again, it goes back to the enjoyment part, right? We worship God when we enjoy Him. We are good stewards of the, get, of the gifts that God gives us when we enjoy the gifts that He has given us, right? Think about it for a moment. Like, again, going back to Adam and Eve, they glorified God by enjoying the creation that God made, right? God made them stewards of this creation. God told them, be fruitful and multiply and take dominion. He says, all of the creation is for you. Steward it well, right? That Adam and Eve didn't have to offer sacrifices or didn't have to do all of these things, right? Because sacrifices weren't necessary. They, the, the relationship with God was uninterrupted, was perfect. And so us, if we want to be good stewards of the gifts that God has given us, we have to enjoy the gifts that God has given us. And I just want to read a passage here from 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 1, where it talks about some false teachers that were uh, prohibiting the people of God from enjoying God's gifts. And then here, uh, Paul also gives kind of the opposite of that. So he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, uh, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, though the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, I'm sorry, through the insincerity, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer, right? So this is just an example of uh, how we enjoy the gifts that God has given us in creation. There are many other ways that we can enjoy them, but this is just an example. Uh, next one is we are good stewards of God's gifts when we worship the creator rather than the creature, right? And for this, Romans 1.25, right? Paul is talking about... Uh, Paul is talking about basically the sinfulness of humanity. And one of the things he says about humanity is that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Right? So here's the point. They were worshiping the creature rather than the creator. But us, if we want to glorify God because we have been reconciled to God, and because he has given us gifts to enjoy, we worship the creator. We don't worship the gifts. We enjoy the gifts that he's given us. We enjoy them responsibly and we use them for his glory, but we worship the creator. And then lastly, we use those gifts to bless others. And 
this is what I want to do. Um, I am going to read two different sections in scripture where we have lists of very, very practical ways in which we can worship God by using the gifts that he has given us. But this is, this is, this is what I want to ask from you. Um, I'm just going to read them. But of course, there's no way that any of us are going to remember uh, these longer lists. And so this is my encouragement for you. And I, and I strongly encourage you to do this, that when you are home either tonight or, or, or tomorrow morning, but do it soon so that you don't forget that you go back and read these passages that I'm going to read right now and meditate on them and think about how can I practically glorify God, right? So before I read them, let's just recap. So we glorify God by being in relationship with him and by representing his image. And right now I'm just gonna read a couple of lists about practical ways in which we worship God. So the first one is found in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. So uh, I'll ask you to turn there. Romans 12. And Romans 12 is a list, a practical list on how we can worship God. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the, good, what, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And here's the practical list. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we are many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us then, sorry, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, Do not be slothful in seal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give, uh, give thought. I'm sorry. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, sorry, evil, but overcome, I'm sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then finally, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. And just for context, I'm going to read uh, chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God would judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those who devote them, who are those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. I think I'm going to stop there. But basically, read these two chapters, Romans 12, Hebrews 13. And these are very, very practical ways in which we glorify God, in which we worship God. And so Kaleo, my hope, my prayer is that as a church and as individuals, that our number one priority would be to worship God, to glorify Him by being in a relationship with Him and by representing His image. Let's pray. God, we thank You for creating us in Your image. We thank You for making it possible for us to be in a relationship with You. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus. We thank You for reconciling us to Yourself through the sacrifice of your son. May we live as a church that is completely devoted to glorifying you, to worshiping you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.